If you want to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. While you're uh, doing that, I don't know if um, this is, we've done this in a while or, or if we um, perhaps even have an opportunity where this has ever taken place. I just have a, maybe just a few questions before we get started here. Um, did anybody uh, commit murder or adultery like this past week? Um, did anybody um, steal something? If, if you did, maybe you could just stand up. And, uh, you know, like if you're a doctor like, and you're on call, you're like, this page can wait, right? Or if you feel like, you know, I was going to go to the bathroom, but I think that that can wait. Uh, um, anybody, uh, no one stole anything? Uh, okay, did anybody covet or just kind of dream about your neighbor's house or spouse or their ox or their donkey and just had a, just a longing, like, I just wish that was mine? If you could just maybe just raise your hand if, if standing is too dead. Uh, okay, did anybody make an idol out of wood or steel or plastic and bow down before it this week? Did, did anybody? I mean, let me ask you one more. Did anybody use like the name of the Lord in a, in a vain way as a vulgar expression to really kind of maybe get your point across with the folks at work or maybe the, the kids on the team that you're coaching or maybe with your friends? Did, any, did, did anybody do that? I mean, I mean, no one's standing. No one's raising their hand. In fact, if any of those things occurred, why, we would be grieved beyond measure, right? This would be a day of great soul searching. We would be humbled. We would have tears in our eyes, just even the thought. It's not that we're not capable of doing it. It's just that we would be so grieved before God if that was a reality in our life. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting some really interesting looks as I'm, I'm running through this because we would be just devastated if any of those things happened. We recognize that, that you know, what I just started asking you, that just came right out of the Ten Commandments. You know, 15th century B.C., God gave a code of conduct for his people. And, and you recognize that. Oh, yeah, I, I know that. And, I, and if any of these things were violated, there would be a great day of brokenness, of weeping, of soul searching. So now, let me just ask you this question. How many of you took a time for rest, a Sabbath, uh, where you just ceased from activity and you, you worshiped God and your soul is refreshed and restored and, and you gave engaged in some life-giving activity? Did, did anybody do that? And you know what? I don't no, no one did. In fact, what we would say is, oh, well, you know, Grant, the whole idea of a a Sabbath rest or taking time off, you know, that somewhere in my theology, I've got it worked out where I don't have to do that. I, that's that's not a that's not a big deal at all. If I ask you about to commit murder, adultery, steal, bow down before some idol, use God's name in vain, major deal, right? Did you take time or rest? Oh, well, that's that's not important. That doesn't really hardly apply to me. And, you know, even though no one would say that, most of us think that, don't we? And uh, I have to tell you that I'm probably the worst culprit in the area. I've confessed this before God, so I can confess it before you. But I just don't really let a lot of grass grow underneath my feet. I am generally moving, 
moving hard, charging. I have, I have worked it out in my mind where the whole idea of the fourth commandment of, of taking a day of rest or resting before God or a Sabbath, uh, well, that just didn't apply to me. I've got too many things to do. And uh, you know what? It's taken a toll. It's taken a toll on me personally. I hope the effects are not uh, long-lasting or for a lifetime, but I certainly see them. And I know I'm not alone. I'm just, just looking out, you know, all of our friends here, a lot of us moving really fast, working really hard. And I bet many of us face some of the same sort of implications. I mean, like physically. I mean, we're worn out. How many times do you get out of bed and you actually feel like you're just half a person? You've been working so hard emotionally you find there is a decreased desire to even care about the things that you care about and the people that you love. It's even hard to be happy because you don't have the emotional reserve to do so. Spiritually, we, we find ourselves incessantly going and going and going. We find it's like it's difficult to even read the Bible or to pray or just to rejoice in God's presence or to meditate upon truth upon the word. We just we kind of just jettison it because we don't even have the energy to do it. And then we look at our family, and if we continually go without rest, we find that it is very difficult for us to extend the affection to our families because the emotional reserves aren't even there. And then for the many of you who are involved in ministry, whether that be with our kids or small group or college or, or with our mountaineers, yet you know, this is what happens. You are going and going and going. You never rest, but then, you know, it's ministry opportunity. It's time to give the Bible study. It's time to work with the children time to serve in this particular activity. And you know what? We show up, but we are kind of functioning like life being lived on fumes. It's the equivalent of this. It's the equivalent of like serving seven course meals to people. We want, you to, we want the people before us that we're serving and ministering to experience the fullness and the greatness of God. We love them. We give our very best. We pray. We ask the Spirit to work in their lives. And all the while, we never touch or hardly taste the very food we're trying to present to the people. And friends, I know a lot of us, we're involved in a lot of good things. We're involved in family, got work, we have jobs, we have ministry. And we want to be seen as faithful. But the question I need to ask is, are we really full of faith? You know, especially like a church like Fellowship Bible Church. We would... We would we would think, like, we've got good theology. And we'd pride ourselves in it. We study the Word. We go through it verse by verse. We are studying the Scriptures. And we want the Scriptures to go through us and us to go through the Scriptures. Let me ask you, do we really have good theology when it comes to living? You know, when we live life without rest, we find that life starts to unravel. We become argumentative, self-righteous, we lack gratitude. Uh, the whole idea of intimacy, re- intimacy with God or intimacy with deep relationships, that becomes like a distant dream. And let me tell you what happens if you and I continue on this course. One of two things. You're either going to implode, you're going to come crashing down from within, you just break down from within, or you explode, you just blow up and you lash out. And you damage and injure the people around you. You know what happens when we're faced with our unrelenting pressures? We never stop to rest. We always keep going. 
we've become like dead men walking. I heard a guy stand up and tell his story, and that's how he referred to himself. I became a dead man walking. Friends, these, these, this is what happens to us. And I have, have friends who have either imploded or exploded. I've read about people that this has happened to. I've heard from them. And that is why we are taking the time to actually examine what does God say about how he restores the souls of his people. I think this is critical. And the more I've studied this, and this hasn't been like, this is what I came up with this week. This has been several years in the making of God working in my heart, confronting me, showing me from Scripture. And I want to share truth I think is vital if you and I are going to experience the rest of God. I think what we need to do is we need to take a time out. We need to stop to regroup, to reflect, to recalibrate. And that's what we want to do. We want to explore and reintroduce the concept of what is biblical rest. seems like with people, uh, people can kind of move or gravitate to two extremes. There's the extreme of the people that kind of just rust out in life, right? Uh, this is, it's kind of like, you know, have you ever been to a farm and they have a car and they just kind of park it there in the field, you know, maybe it's by the silos, and they just leave it there. And what happens? Week after week after month after month, rainstorm, fire, and uh, hail, and snow, and then it warms up, and you got 110 degrees. We try that for 45 days, and you know what happens to that car, don't you? That perfectly good car, it just ends up rusting out. There are some people that are like that. You've got gift. You have possibilities. You've got life. You've been trained. And you, you're just kind of sitting there. I mean, you're just barely functioning. And you have, and it's maybe been years. But that's probably not the case for most of you. Our case, our greatest concern where we gravitate toward is burnout. It's like taking a car and you never work on the engine, you never give it oil, you just, you got it in overdrive the whole time, right? You're your foot right on the gas pedal, you got the brake at the same time, and that's just life for you, right? Then you're just cruising, and you're just going to burn up your engine. We need to look at what does God say about how to restore your soul. And we started this last Sunday, this Sunday, and the next Sunday, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at the biblical concept of rest. What it is, where it came from, why we don't do it, and what it would look like in our life. But this whole idea of slow death with no rest, uh, I believe that God is confronting us and saying, this must stop. And what we're going to find is that God is reverenced and his people are renewed when they learn to rest in him. That's what we're going to find. But if we're going to talk about the whole idea of rest, and I know that I am going against the grain, you have never heard a message like you're about to hear this week or next week. It's like we avoid this in our American culture and in our American churches. But what is going to have to happen is that you and I have to change our thinking first before there ever will be a change of behavior. Because our beliefs always drive our behavior. If you do not believe it's important, let me assure you, it will not be a reality in your life. Because beliefs drive behavior. So if we're going to have a biblical understanding of rest, it is, we're going to find that it is rooted in the concept of Sabbath. Now, the root idea of Sabbath is this. It means to cease activity. All living things, and even a lot of non-living things, require rest. Uh, they, they only thrive when they have some measure of stillness 
in their life. And so the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. It means to completely cease activity. And for the Jewish people, it began on a Friday evening. And in fact, it even had rest, like they were sleeping, being replenished physically. And then it went through Saturday to sundown Saturday. Now, you're, you're familiar with the whole idea of Sabbath. You've heard of it. In fact, all of you probably know that is in the Ten Commandments. And that's right. And you know that the Ten Commandments, did you know that there's two places the Ten Commandments are actually spelled out? Okay, one is in Exodus 20. I want you to turn there. The other is in Deuteronomy 5. We're going to be turning there just very quickly. You'll also find these on the screens and in your notes. But if we're going to understand rest, we have to, first of all, see where it's rooted in. And now Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, they're, they're actually like identical twins. You know, like identical twins. We have some twins in our church. I've known twins. And when you see identical twins, it's like, whoa. Two people, they look exactly the same. And you can't figure out any differences. And that's really what it looks like at first, when you come to these two passages on the subject of rest. However, identical twins always have some sort of distinguishing mark, a birthmark, maybe how their hair parts. There is always something that you can tell the two apart, but you have to study them. What I want you to do, I want you to study it. We're going to read the passage on rest. You find the critical difference. So the first one we're going to start off is in Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Okay? He says, remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay? See that? All right, that's Exodus. Now we're going to turn to Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5, fifth book of the Bible. Okay, Deuteronomy 5. Okay, you're finding it. Look at verse 12. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Listen to this. Here again, Deuteronomy, by the means, is the, it's the second giving of the law. Okay, that's what, okay, and that's what we have here. Verse 12, chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out there out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. All right. You guys are sharp. Did you pick out the two different rationales or the reasonings for why we're to keep Sabbath? Exodus is grounded in what? Creation. The Deuteronomy account is grounded in emancipation. In Exodus, we're called to remember Eden. In Deuteronomy, we're called to remember Egypt. Exodus looks up. Deuteronomy looks back. Exodus says that Sabbath keeping is a divine blessing. But Deuteronomy, it's about taking hold of divine deliverance. We've been freed. We've been liberated. One reminds us in Exodus that we are God's children. We are the work of his creation. 
The other tells us that we are no longer slaves. And so let's just take a look here at this Exodus camp. We're going to talk about each one of these for just a couple minutes. In Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, the command is to what? To, it is a call to imitate God. Remember, God created six days. On the seventh day, he rested. That is the rationale you and I are to rest. Here's a really interesting definition of Sabbath given by Mark Buchanan. He says, it is of imitating God so that we stop trying to be God. You see, we're to mimic God. We are to follow his pattern as a realization that we are not God. Okay, does God need rest? No. God is not pining away for vacation. God is not, oh, I need some rest here. God doesn't have like feverish workaholic activity and then he's got to pull back because he has to recover because that is not God. He is all sufficient and he's all powerful. You and I, on the other hand, we need rest. All living humans, all living animals need rest. True of bass, true of cattle. From ants to zebras, we need rest. Rest, right? All living beings, all living animals, all living humans, we need rest. But do you know what? We think that we don't need rest. You see, like goats and beetles and lizards, they, they aren't like trying to like press the system like, well, I, I'm the exception. They take rest. But humans, we begin to think that we are like God. We need no rest and think of it i mean we can do some amazing things we can span bridges over great gaps we can build buildings that just kind of snap your mind like how in the world is that thing standing we can watch and observe a baby in a womb we can tease out strands of dna i mean we think that there is we are unstoppable There's nothing in our way. There is nothing that we can't do. There is no limit to human ability. And so what we do is we cease to rest. I mean, we can send an email from Washington, D.C. to Warsaw in seconds. And so what happens is we think that we are so clever that we can get around God's imposed standard of stillness in our life. And so God, knowing both our folly and our need, you know what he said? You are to work six days, work, but on the seventh, you're to rest. That's, that's Exodus, okay? Exodus commands basically tells us that we're to imitate God to discover that we are not him. We're to rest, and that is to be a part of our life. Now look at the Deuteronomy passage, okay? In Deuteronomy, that's the other two in. That, that rationale for keeping the Sabbath is not based on creation. It's based on the fact of emancipation. We are no longer slaves we once were slaves, that, talking to the people of Israel who he originally gave these to you, you were slaves. You had a Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh, what did he do? Pharaoh rested. But in order for Pharaoh to rest, he had to have people to work. In order to have work done, they had slaves. And so, in Egypt, you had taskmasters. They had whips. They had sticks. And you had slaves, the people of Israel. And that's what they did. The people of Israel, they were slaves, they worked. They didn't say, you know, I'm a little tired. I need a day off. Uh-uh, that wasn't part of the plan. Pharaoh rested. You worked. Rest was for Pharaoh, but the rest of you, you worked. If you didn't, there were whips or sticks to encourage you to keep moving. And that's how life was. But do you know what God did? God drowned them out. 
God actually put an end to it. He actually took the, these, these Egyptians and he said, enough is enough. I have heard the cry of Israel and you know what I'm going to do? I am going to end it. And so that's exactly what God did. God put an end to it. He brought, he turned their water and made it like blood. He brought gnats and destroyed their crops. He actually, he actually sent hailstones that just pounded the people. And the ultimate act of vanquishing their taskmasters was to bring them all into the Red Sea after the gods, God's people passed through and he ended them. Now, let me ask you, thinking back like into your time of slavery, if you were an Israelite, what is it about slavery that you find so alluring? What is it about those whips and those taskmasters and those sticks and the beatings that, that you just like, oh, I just long for? It's like you have a nostalgic thought about. That was a very unpleasant, a very difficult time. It led to pleading and to crying. And God brought about the gift of freedom. And he did it in great measure. You see, slaves don't rest. They can't rest. If you're to rest, you have to have Liberty, freedom must be had in order for you to rest. And Sabbath for the for the people of Israel was a refusal to go back to Egypt. And that's what he's emphasizing in Deuteronomy five. Don't go back. You once were slaves, but I have freed you and I have emancipated you. And God's people have always been identified as a people who can rest because God has provided it. They are to rest. Their animals are to rest. Even their land, once out of every seven years, is, was to have rest. And Sabbath, by the way, wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't like, you know, I'd really like this to do this. It'd be good for you. It'd be good for your animals. This was a command. This was part of their covenant relationship with God. This is how they lived and they functioned. And I want you to just imagine if you heard these words from Moses. You can find them in Exodus 31, verse 12. But listen to this very carefully, because I think this gets at the heart of what God is seeking to accomplish and the concept of rest. The Lord spoke to Moses and saying this. But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You keep the Sabbath so that you'll remember that I am God and I am the one who sets you apart, who develops you, who matures you, who fills your life. How is that to be done? It's to be done by Sabbath. And then he says to emphasize this, he goes, therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to. Anybody happen to know what he said? Death. Woo. He goes, for whoever does any work on it. That person shall be cut off among his people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does work, any work on the Sabbath, shall surely be put to death. So this is what God said. You are my people, we're by people by covenant. I will care for you, follow my ways, cling to me, love me, and obey my words. And one of the things I want you to do is I want you to rest on the, uh, every seventh day. And he said, but if you don't, that person shall be put to death. And you're like, whoa, that sounds pretty tough. Did God ever do it? Actually, in Numbers 15, there is a guy, we'll call him Herb. And Herb is out there collecting sticks on the Sabbath. He was working hard. We would call him industrious. He's a hardworking guy. He's moving ahead. He knows what it takes. But you know what? 
They found this guy, and all the people of Israel, as they're going through the, the wilderness, they find this guy. He's picking up sticks. He's doing it on the Sabbath. And you know what? They didn't know what to do, so they actually incarcerated him. They bring him before Moses. Moses goes, boy, I have no idea. I've got to talk to God. He does. And you know what God said? Stone him. I want my people to remember to follow my word. And you know what he said right after that incident? That's where he said, you know those garments you're wearing? I want you to put tassels on them for this purpose so that you will remember the commands of God. So God was obviously very serious about this. And he said, you know, to the sons of Israel, they shall observe the Sabbath, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor, labor and was refreshed. So in the Old Testament, as we start studying this subject here, what does God think about Sabbath? Rest. Optional? No. Serious. Absolutely. My people will be identified by rest. But now, you're like, whoa. But, um, you know, me being a Christian, uh, as a Christian, I'm not under the law. Right? Like, my relationship with God is not based on following the Ten Commandments. This is a big question. Because there's a lot of people that think, like, you know, a Christian is just someone who follows all the commands that God has given. Right? They, God gives the code of contact. I follow it. I'm a Christian because I do it. Right? Well, let's, this is something that is critical for us to understand. That is exactly right. Christians are not under the law. We're not under the law that God has given us. It is, we're, we are not a part of the Old Covenant or a Mosaic Covenant. We are, call, we are called members of a new covenant. A new covenant in which we are not under the law of God given to us in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, but under the law of Christ. In fact, when, remember when Paul said, you know, I've become all things to all men that I may all, by all means win some? In that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21, he says, To those who are without the law as without law, those though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. You see, you and I, we are united and related to Jesus Christ. And the Christian looks at the law through the lens of Christ. Because Christ is the absolute fulfillment of the law. This is when Jesus came. Did Jesus come to just set up his own program or to do his own thing? No. Christ came to fulfill the law. In fact, you can find that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. I came to make them full. I am the a full expression of what the law intended. And a Christian is one who recognizes that I could never keep the law. The law pointed the way to go, that God says this is the way you should go. At the same time, it indicated by our failure that we could never keep it. And so we needed a savior. We need someone who could fully pay the penalty of our sin, who could fully fulfill all the law demanded. And that is who Jesus Christ is. And he paid the full penalty for our sin. He is our fulfillment of the law. He satisfied God's just demands. He is the one that we put our faith in. And so the Christian isn't following God's law as an aspect of covenant relationship, but rather we're united by Christ and he becomes our focus and our ability to actually follow what God has to say. Now, 
You see, our communion with Christ is to govern and to guide the conduct of his people. Now, when it comes to the idea of Sabbath, are you and I as Christians, are we required to keep a Sabbath day? Are we required to keep a 24-hour period? Well, Jesus, nor did any of the apostles in the New Testament say anything about that. There is not a single requirement laid down where Christians are to keep the Sabbath as a means of covenant relationship with God. Because you and I are in the new covenant. And you know what? The Christian has identified as someone who has entered the rest of God. Now, the rest of God is familiar from, like if you read the book of Hebrews, like in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For we who have believed enter that rest. We've entered into the rest that Christ has provided because he's the fulfillment of all that the law required. You see, if Joshua gave his people rest by moving them into the promised land, there'd be no promise of a future Sabbath rest. But the reality is there needs to be a rest and a rest provided by God, and it is provided for us in Jesus Christ. Augustine said it well. He says, you made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. When you and I rest in Christ, we can experience the rest that God intends for us as Christians. In fact, it is Jesus who said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are your souls weary? Your struggle for sin always leaving you at a point where you are just completely inadequate? You are woefully broken down? Come to me. I will give you rest. Are you worn out in this life? Come to me, Jesus says. I will give you rest. He can give us rest because he's the fulfillment of it. And so Sabbath rest, taking like a day off, is not a requirement that we keep for living in relationship with God. But let me tell you, it is something that we will do taking rest if we're going to live well in our relationship with God. It's not a command that we follow, but it's a course we must take. It cannot affect our salvation But God uses rest in our sanctification, in our development. It has been part of his plan. You see, it is in resting that we experience the rest of God. You and I, we are really big about thinking what? That, you know, I am honoring God and glorifying God in our work. And we are. When done by a spirit for his glory. Whether that be what you're doing Monday through Friday, anything in the church, in our community, your mission work. It is done for the glory of God and his work. And God works and develops his kingdom through work. But you need to know something. God is just as glorified, perhaps even more so, when you and I learn to rest in him. If that's ever going to take place, though, something's going to have to happen. Our beliefs have to change. And we will rest in God when we believe he's holy, that he's fully in control, and he's also fully good. I can trust him. He has got his, my best worked out in his mind, and he requires or asks that I rest. I mean, just think of it. If a bird is continually flying, what's going to happen? Eventually, it's going to plummet. If you have a saw, and you just keep sawing and sawing and sawing, eventually, though, that blade is going to become rather brittle. If you have an engine and you never take care of it, what happens? It's going to just kind of gum up. It gets, it seizes. And next thing you know, you got it parked out by the silo right out there on your farm, right? Because you didn't take care of it. 
I don't know if, I know a lot of you have been watching the, the Olympics, but did you see the end of the decathlon? I mean, what a great event. The world's greatest athlete, the decathlete. Did you see how they finished? You know, they, the, the final event in the decathlon is the mile, right? And did you see how they finished the race? As soon as they crossed the line, do you know what all of the decathletes did? They just pass out, and they're just laying on the track. They cannot move. They have given everything they've got. Now, if the, let's say the head of the U.S. Olympic track team said, Get up! I've just entered you in the marathon. Get going! What? I mean, that would be ridiculous. We would say, something is wrong with you. This man needs rest. We see that in every aspect. We see it on TV. That makes sense to us. The only place it doesn't make sense is here. You see, we don't think we need rest. And God says, my people have always been identified with rest. You know who has no rest? This was staggering as I was studying this through. In Revelation chapter 14, when he talks about those who have rejected Christ, they are going to be the place of torment where the smoke rises up forever and ever. This is what it says in Revelation 14.11. They have no rest day and night. The person who refuses to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, their life here and for certain in eternity is categorized as no rest. But just a couple verses later, in Revelation 14, verse 13, he wrote, writes of those who are in heaven, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow. You see, God's people have always been categorized by rest. Rest in this life, most certainly rest, refreshment, renewal, rejoicing in the life to come. And so if that's ever going to be true for us, friends, our convictions are going to have to change. If there will ever be a change of conduct, it starts with a change of conviction. Ever a change of behavior, we have to believe differently. And do you and I really want to keep living a life where we're functioning on as a half a person, 20%? I don't think that's what God has ever intended. I do not think that we are under some sort of commandment that we've got to keep a day. But you and I need to keep rest, and we can, because we're united with Christ and we're resting in Him. So what we need to do is come back to the point where we realize that God is God and that I am not. We have to realize that we don't want to put ourselves in a situation where we've got all these taskmasters, whether that be our emails or our perfectionistic tendencies, and we're just continually running ourselves into the ground No, he is God. We need to do like Psalm 46, verse 10 says, and that is this. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. Or another, your Bible might say, be still and know that I am God. So next week, next week, we're going to talk about what would this really look like in the life of the Christian. But it all has to start with what do you really believe? And so what I want you to do, I'd like you to just close your eyes and bow your heads. And I would like you to go before God and have him examine your heart. Are you really right on this subject of rest?
Are you resting in Christ for salvation? Not working it out on your own. Are you resting in Christ that allows you to take a rest during the week to refresh, to replenish, to rejoice? Can you be still before the living God that he might sanctify you? Lord, we come before you as your people. And your people have been categorized and marked out as a people of rest. That was true of the people in the Old Testament. That is true of the people of the New Testament and the New Covenant. That we are resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. He has fulfilled all the law's demands. And because we're united with him and in him, we can experience your rest. We know that you restore our souls as we learn to rest in you. You teach us much through work, but how much more you teach us when we recognize that you're a sovereign God, you're a good God, and you alone can refill us and replenish us. So, Lord, would you take us as a church and teach us what it means to be still? We've learned much about working hard, but, Lord, we want to be complete and full. So, Lord, teach us to be still before you and to know that you are God. We pray and we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name.
become a reality in our life that we might experience the fullness of what it means to rest in Jesus Christ.